previously on Uncontacted. This is Dunn to Farragut. We are in visual range of the island. We could pass, but not the drones. Why? It's like stepping into a dream, and I don't want to wake up. It's a graveyard. Some of them look hundreds of years old. If they're all wrecked, it means whoever lives here can't leave. What do you see, Professor? Seeing it up close confirms they must have had some contact with or origin from the outside world. I think we should go in. We are not prepared for a first contact scenario. What if we didn't have to make first contact? Not yet, anyway. Did it ever occur to you that maybe there isn't an answer to what's wrong with you? That maybe you're just crazy? Yes, and I hope whatever we find makes that untrue. Can you help me? Do you know what this is? It's called a compass. The butterfly effect of introducing even the simplest form of advanced technology could have devastating consequences. I just wanted to help a lost little girl. Even though they hailed from different lands and spoke different tongues, the seemingly disparate groups found that they could understand each other without struggle. The first of many gifts from God. The ceremony of ascension has begun. Who among you is worthy? Do you know what's going on? This is it. This is our test. Test of what? Who is worthy of ascension? Avery! Avery, wake up! I, I didn't win the race. What? Get the professors back to the ship! No! Run! I-I-I come in peace! I don't- Where's Dr. Walker? We have to go back. We're not equipped to go after him. Orders are all that's left of the commander. Let me at least feel like I did something right by following them. What is this? Weapons? Medicine. New ways to cook your food and, and clean your water. We can do all those things. Your gifts are not welcome. I'm not your enemy. I could have left any time. I chose to stay. Why? Listen to your son. He's been sleeping soundly ever since I gave him medication. You dare touch my son? I, I didn't touch him. I just gave him something to ease his discomfort. <coughs> what did you do? It was helping him. You poisoned him. No, it, it, it was just aspirin. You could never be chosen. I was just trying to help. There shall be no violence. It is forbidden. Put me down. I don't want to ascend. This is just a misunderstanding. I didn't mean to hurt him. I'm sorry. I'm... And now, the conclusion. Uncontacted, part three. Written, produced, and edited by Jacob Levy. <laughs> Avery materializes in a dim hallway. His whole body shakes, traumatized by the visceral experience of being teleported. Avery tries to make sense of his bearings, but there's nothing familiar to latch onto. The hallway's walls are made of the same advanced material as the metal spire. A network of thousands of branching vein-like tubes carries glowing yellow liquid along the walls, much like the leaf Avery witnessed outside the village. Avery touches the strange wall. It vibrates on his fingertips. The entire place is alive with a machine-like energy. Avery follows the flow of the liquid along the walls, each step slow and cautious. Avery emerges from the hallway onto a bridge that extends out into a massive spherical chamber. The chamber is completely hollow and reaches out a hundred yards in every direction. The yellow veins continue from
from the hallway and spread infinitely over the sphere's inner black wall. Descending from the ceiling of the chamber is a long metal pole, the continuation of the metal spire from the surface. It descends until it meets a large vat of glowing yellow liquid that rests on a platform at the end of the bridge. Avery crosses the bridge, careful not to fall. Whoever built this place didn't care to install guardrails. As Avery reaches the central platform, he's immediately struck by the sight of piles of human clothes, a strangely organic contrast to the surrounding brutalist architecture. Avery trips over something. He looks down and sees a scattering of military rifles next to a pile of combat fatigues and gear. He picks up one of the many uniforms and reads Commander Dunn on the breast pocket. The blood quickly drains from Avery's face. It's the remains of the Marines. Setting down the uniform, Avery sees six coffin-like pods encased in glass that surround the central energy vat. The pods are in rough condition. Some have toppled over and others have shattered, all except for one that's completely intact. The last surviving pod is filled to the brim with the same yellow liquid as the rest of the room. Avery approaches one of the broken pods, where yellow fluid spurts out of a tube like a severed artery. The base of the pod is corroded and rusted, most likely the source of the pod's structural failure. He follows the trail of liquid on the ground until he sees a rotten pile of flesh. Roughly the size of a basketball, the flesh is a dark gray with hints of pink and looks like organs fused together into a spherical, fleshy mass. Avery backs away, disgusted by the sight. Continuing on, Avery reaches the only surviving pod. Although it's in good condition, its base has also decayed like the broken pod before it. Avery puts his face against the glass, trying to view what, if anything, lies within. After a few moments, the liquid swirls, revealing a living mass of flesh. The creature's whole disgusting body is colored a pale pink. It has no clear appendages or features, save for a few randomly placed orifices and a small but strangely human eye. Frightened, Avery sprints for the bridge, but is stopped by a glowy yellow barrier. Let me go! The veiny walls of the chamber dim and glow to the cadence of an artificial voice. Subject has not accepted termination. Beginning pacification protocol. Avery scans the room, looking for the source of the voice. He lands on the creature in the pod. Who are you? What's going on? Avery, now age seven, looks down at the floor, ashamed. Avery's father looks at the walls of the room and then down at his son, furious. Covering the walls are images of the island scribbled in crayon. Avery, what did you do? I didn't mean it. Get a hold of yourself and clean this up now! Avery, now age 16, sits at a school lunch table. On the table in front of him are images of the island constructed with the contents of his lunch and an assortment of condiments. He's covered in food, looking like a slob. Avery, now age 21, sits in a packed college lecture hall. He vigorously takes notes while listening to a professor at the front of the classroom. Someone taps him on the shoulder. He turns. It's Amanda, also age 21. Can I help you? You're writing really loud. It's distracting. What? The sound of your pen is louder than the professor. I can't hear. Are you serious? Avery is lost in an episode. He draws the island in his notebook. He draws so violently, he rips deep gashes in the paper. You okay? Avery causes a scene, sliding around and bumping into other students. Amanda stands and helps Avery up, guiding him out of the classroom. 
Avery sits slumped against the wall of the classroom, his head in his hands. Amanda sits next to him. Thank you. That happens sometimes. Was it a seizure or something? Yeah, something like that. I'm Amanda, by the way. He looks at her. He sees the kindness in her eyes for the first time. The small one-bedroom home is a wreck, reminiscent of the state of Avery's home from before his opening lecture. Holes in the walls, paper ripped to shreds, dishes shattered, all in the shape of the island. A brown and white kitten creeps around the room through the refuse, baby Kaya. Avery, age 28, sits on the floor holding his knees to his chest, his eyes red from crying. Amanda cleans up the mess. She looks exhausted as she sweeps a pile of broken glass. I was doing some research. There's a doctor in Sweden who specializes in- I'm not in... looking for solutions. Then how are we supposed to fix this? I'm broken. I can't be fixed. You need to think positively about this. The answer's out there. We just have to find it. It's not that simple. Even if it were, I'm not strong enough. You need to try. I can't do this on my own. Are you going to leave me? What? I know you want to. You should be with someone who isn't broken. Amanda tosses the broom aside. How could you even say that? Avery shrugs. You know what? Saying things like that makes me want to leave you. <sighs> okay. I'm sorry. I need to be done right now. Amanda leaves the room. Kaya trots over to Avery. Avery's head sinks to the floor. Avery is ripped back to reality, catching himself on one of the broken stasis pods. He glares accusingly at the thing in the pod. Why? Why'd you do that to me? Investigation protocol failed. Playback from emotionally charged memories did not calm the subject. Those were the worst moments of my life. Subject has not accepted termination. Nutrient hormone levels below desired threshold. What? The yellow liquid that surrounds the creature glows bright, charging in power. Avery runs to the pod and bangs on the glass. What is this place? Why am I here? Why me? Why'd you do this to me? Why'd you ruin my life? There has to be a reason. Just tell me it meant something. Maximum power, Engaging A ghostly aura detaches itself from Avery's body and pulls itself towards the creature in the stasis pod. Avery reels in pain. You're a monster! Noting the pod's frail base, Avery bear hugs the pod, squeezing and pulling at it. I won't let you take Avery gives one last twist, heaving with all his strength. The entire pod crashes to the floor on top of Avery. Biomanagements were failed. Connection to passenger offline. Biomanagements were failed. Connection to passenger offline. Avery opens his eyes, his senses coming back to him. Avery finds himself in a pool of yellow goo from the shattered pod mere inches from the creature that once lay within. It sits there, motionless. Avery clumsily stands up, frantically backing away from it. He falls backward onto a pile of discarded clothes. 
Dimension shutdown sequence. The yellow liquid systematically drains from all the veins around the room, slowly dimming the space until Avery is surrounded by complete darkness. Hello? Avery flashes back to the base of the metal spire. The sun has risen, but it's partially obscured by ominous charcoal-colored storm clouds that approach from the west. Avery walks forward stiffly, still recuperating from his body being torn apart just moments ago. He approaches a woman who hangs fabric on a clothesline. Excuse me. The woman looks at Avery, immediately concerned. Can you help me? Was sagen Sie? I, I just need... Wait, wait why, why can't I understand you? Was wollen Sie? Wer sind Sie? Avery turns from the woman and opens his ears to random conversations between other nearby villagers. No one speaks English, and everyone's words match their lips. The villagers realize this too as communication completely breaks down between them. Everyone's voices quickly raise as they try to understand each other's words, realizing it's a futile task. The couple kneels in the dirt of their small farm. They hold shriveled crops that are now black and dead. Yellow goo seeps out of the dead plants into the soil below. Avery watches as all the crops and foliage in the village systematically shrivel and die. What have I done? Avery dashes back to the metal spire and bangs on its cold metal exterior. Turn it back on! Please! I, I, I didn't know this would happen! A noisy signal bursts its way through the walkie-talkie on his belt. He hastily picks it up. Amanda! Val! Dr. Walker, is that you? We haven't been able to get a signal through. What's going on? We need backup, sir. As much as you can send. The village falls apart before Avery's eyes. Storm clouds completely engulf the sky. Howling winds blow through the village, rattling homes and what's left of the greenery. We follow Val as she walks through a now-occupied village. Soldiers march down every road, patrolling, watching, guarding. A command tent has been constructed around the metal spire. Dozens of technicians measure its properties and collect data. Val looks uneasy as villagers cower at the mere sight of her walking past them. She watches as a family begs a pair of soldiers to let them leave their home, but they remain firm, brandishing their weapons. Val shudders and keeps moving. Val eventually joins a small group of soldiers that surround Avery, who speaks with the translator. Communication between the villagers has completely broken down. We need to catalog and identify the native languages of each individual and pair them with a translator. We only have a handful of dedicated translators on staff. It won't be enough. Can we distribute translation dictionaries? We don't have any immediately available. I'll see if we can request a shipment. Good. Utilize villagers whose native language is English. A military botanist speaks up. What about the soil? Alkaline tests reveal severe acidity levels. That would explain the sudden vegetation decay. Can we distribute MREs while we plant new seedlings? We have a small stockpile in reserve, but not nearly enough for the entire population. This was never the mission. Amanda pushes herself through the crowd of soldiers. Avery! Are you okay? What happened? Avery looks embarrassed to see her. Uh, I, I'm fine. Amanda looks at Avery incredulously, then to Val, who shrugs. A medical officer chimes in. There appears to be a viral outbreak as well. What? How? We've identified and quarantined 18 individuals who are exhibiting high fevers and rashes. What should we do? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't... Get them tested. If we can find out what they're carrying, we can assess treatment options and stop the spread. Avery looks relieved that Amanda covered for him. 
Finally, Val speaks up. Dr. Walker? What now? I'm glad you're okay. Avery didn't realize she was here. Thank you. What's the problem? As I'm sure you're aware, a storm front is rapidly approaching from the south. We're predicting winds up to 100 miles per hour and a high likelihood of severe flooding. What should we do? Avery just stares at her, his mind overwhelmed. I'm sorry, I can't. Avery leaves the soldiers in a flurry, Amanda chasing after him. Val watches the two professors leave, a grim expression on her face. Gray skies and puttering rain, barren trees and wilted flowers. The village is now a shadow of its former beauty. Avery and Amanda walk through the village, Avery still shaken. Near one home, the two see a soldier offer an MRE to a family inside. But at the sight of the offering, the family smacks the MRE out of the soldier's hand and slams the door in his face. Doxa, the father, he said he wanted to offer my life for his daughter's. But once he realized I wasn't his enemy, he let me go. Just like that? Only after I earned his trust. I, I gave him walkie-talkies. I still don't understand what happened. Their god just disappeared? Everything that kept this place going just stopped? He kept me till morning. Uh, when dawn broke, the, the crops all started dying and no one could understand each other. And you really have no idea what caused it? Avery hesitates, hanging on his answer. But before he can... Doctor! Avery! Joanna, Dox's wife, runs up to them. She speaks her native language, English. Uh, this is Joanna, the, the mother of the family that took me in. What's wrong? My son Tilo, he's very sick. Doxa said you poisoned him. Amanda looks at Avery, perplexed. We'll send one of our doctors. You must fix him. He's suffering. I, I'm not sure I can help. You did this. I won't lose another child. The translator knocks on the door to Doxa's home, Avery and Amanda behind them. Doxa opens it, livid at the sight of Avery. Joanna stands behind him, supportive of her husband, but also scared of what he might do. Behind them both, Tilo can be seen in bed, shivering <laughs> under the covers. <laughs> Doxa lunges forward, but Joanna pulls him back. He's Doxa. They may be our only hope. What did he say? The translator hesitates. Doxa clenches his jaw. He says he won't let you in. He says... He says you poisoned his son? Tell him I don't have to come in, but... Please, Doxa. We've already lost one child. Doxa may not understand his wife, but the desperate look on her face says it all. Unfortunately, it's not enough. Doxa slams the door. Amanda leaves without Avery. We can't help them if they won't let us. Avery trots after her. Avery passes by another group of soldiers. They rip out endless rows of dead plants in a field as others plant new seeds. Avery overhears an old woman speaking to another translator who relays the information to the soldiers. She says these will take months to grow. She won't be able to feed her family. Teller will give her and her family plenty of MREs and other non-perishables till then. What'd she say? It wasn't thank you. Avery finally catches up to Amanda. 
What did he mean you poisoned his son? I gave him some aspirin. It, it worked at first. Then he had a severe reaction. You should have known better. I was just... Just trying to help. I've heard it before. Do you think he'll be all right? Amanda walks ahead of Avery. Amanda! Avery and Amanda, now wearing gloves, surgical masks, and face shields, enter a small home. Twenty villages, including men, women, and children, lie on the floor. They're wrapped in blankets, shivering and coughing. Checkered red rashes cover their bodies. Amanda, I'm not sure we should be here. Amanda kneels down to a sick man who huddles in a corner. She places her hand against his forehead, confirming a fever. She then removes a canteen from her belt and offers it to the man, who takes a small sip. Have your people been sick like this before? The man just stares at her, not understanding. Was the child sick like this? No. I, I think he just had the flu or something. This looks much worse. These rashes look like measles. If you're suggesting we spread this to them, they would have shown symptoms much earlier. Unless whatever was protecting this place was also protecting their immune systems. And now that it's gone, they could be susceptible to any disease we might be carrying. Amanda turns back to the sick man. <coughs> she places a hand on his arm. We're going to help you. I promise. When Amanda turns back, Avery is gone. Amanda finds Avery outside, ripping off his PPE. It's bad, but if we can get them treatment, I think they'll be okay. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Yeah, no kidding. These people were being controlled, manipulated. I had to stop it. What are you talking about? Avery looks at her, wanting to tell her what happened, but just when he's about to speak, a commotion is heard from the village center. What now? The two race towards the source of the chaos. Rainfall turns dirt to slick mud, the beginnings of the storm. Two groups of villagers, roughly ten on each side, scream at each other. The only thing separating them is a group of four soldiers, including Val. The soldiers present rifles to ward off each side. The villagers look like they're at each other's throats, brandishing pitchforks, hoes, and other farming tools. Avery and Amanda rush to the side of both groups. What's going on? They just started coming at each other. We can't translate fast enough. One villager advances, getting too close for comfort for one soldier. Get back! They can't understand you! The villager raises an axe, ready to throw it at the soldier, who raises his rifle in response. Stand down, soldier. Tell him to back off! Do we know what language he's speaking? A pitchfork-wielding villager slips on the mud. The pronged metal tool lunges toward the soldier, scratching his face. Uh. In the chaos, Val instinctively fires her rifle. The villager hits the ground, his body limp. Val stands in horror as the two opposing groups charge into each other. Val and the other soldiers caught in the middle. Val doesn't put up a fight, letting her body be thrown around by the commotion. Avery and Amanda try to break up the fight, but all that gets is Avery punched in the face, throwing into the mud. Admiral Baldry holds a pistol to the sky, smoke pluming from the barrel. Detain them. Soldiers surge through the crowd, dragging away the farmers. Val doesn't move. She instead stares at the dead villager, blood pooling in the mud. Did you hear me, Ensign? That's an order. Val snaps out of it. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Val assists the other soldiers in crowd control, her face pale. Amanda holds herself, deeply disturbed by the violence. 
Avery, still on the ground, stares at the body as a handful of villagers somberly pick it up and carry it away. Rain pummels the roof of the command tent. Baldry addresses a contingent of the occupation force, including Avery and Amanda. Avery looks like he's somewhere else, still unnerved by the day's events. Al is also there, standing dejected in the corner. Thanks to the direction of Dr. Walker, we have successfully cataloged 86% of the village in just 12 hours. Our estimates put us at a total population of 512 that speak roughly 46 unique languages. We're able to translate about half of these with work being done to decipher the rest. Dr. Palmer, I'm told you have an analysis of the quarantined population. If we can get them vaccines within the next 48 hours, it's possible we can thwart the virus. Other than that, there's no specific treatment besides time. How long are we talking? Two to three weeks. Understood. We may have to consider taking them back to the Farragut for further analysis. Amanda wants to protest, but she's just too tired. Finally, I'm ordering all our forces off the island for the next eight hours. Neither this island nor the village has the infrastructure needed to safely remain here for the duration of the storm. We'll return in the morning once the inclement weather has passed. What about the villagers? After an awkward, pregnant pause, they'll have to make do till we return. Begin the evacuation procedures. I'll see you all on the Farragut. The soldiers spring into action and pack up the command tent. Avery leaves without a word. Amanda finds Val, who packs laptops in a crate. Help me go after him. I have my orders. Amanda scoffs before running off into the rain after Avery. Avery sits at the same place he, Amanda, Val, and Dunn first observed the village, rain splattering his body. Far below, lights from the military are seen leaving towards the coast. Amanda approaches after a few moments. She sits near him. Was I really writing too loud? What? The first time you talked to me, you said I was writing too loud. She smiles. I just wanted an excuse to talk to you. How do you remember that? I didn't until the island reminded me. What are you hiding from me? Amanda places a hand on top of his, but Avery rejects the offer, shaking her off. It was all a ruse. What was? The visions were just a tool to lure me here. They were bait, and I took it willingly. What happened last night, Avery? Avery looks into the distance, deciding how best to tell her. This place isn't what we thought it was. There's something down there. Something alien. I, I don't know how long it's been there. There were more of them, but I only found one survivor. It's been bringing people here, pretending to be a god, to feed. When you say alien... I can only assume extraterrestrial. You're serious? He nods solemnly. Avery, why didn't you say anything? This is incredible! Alien life. It sounds crazy to say, but I guess that's the only thing that makes sense. This is going to change the world. You've made one of the greatest discoveries of our time! It's dead. What? Why? That's how I escaped. I killed it before it took me. How could you? It was the only way to escape. It would have killed me. And once I ended it, all the technology that ran this place shut down. That's why no one can understand each other. Why everything's dying. 
why there's never been a severe storm like this before. If you know the root cause, then let's try to fix this. What are we supposed to do? It's too advanced. We're completely out of our depth. I don't know, but we have to try something. It's done. And for good reason. It made these people suffer. It manipulated them, lied to them. So I freed them, which means they're my responsibility now. That man's death today was on me. It's not your fault. I should have foreseen internal conflict when communication broke down. The behavior is consistent with every study on intertribal dynamics. Avery. A bilateral approach to catalog the population would have been much more effective than a uniform sweep. If only I had my research notes. If only we had more people, more translators. That's not the point. When we get back to the Farragut, I'm telling Baldry to get reinforcements. A, a two-to-one ratio would be preferred, but I'd settle for one-to-one. -one. We need more anthropologists, historians, psychologists, linguists. Avery! What? I'm staying here. But the storm. I won't abandon these people. They don't know what's coming. Stay with me. I... I don't care that this island isn't what you thought it was. I, I don't care that you killed an alien. Just stay with me. Stay with them. If you really want to help, that's all you need to do. Amanda. Please. We can help in the morning. It's too dangerous to stay. The rain hides the tears in Amanda's eyes. Goodbye, Avery. She leaves him. Avery stands alone. Like bees returning to the hive, dozens of dinghies and helicopters zoom across the dark waters toward the Farragut. On one boat is Avery, who slumps forward, crestfallen. Val sits across from him. She taps his knee and shoots him a questioning look, mouthing Amanda. But Avery just turns away. He instead looks behind them where the storm ravages the island, mighty lightning striking repeatedly. Avery jumps out of the boat, straight into the water. He's immediately swallowed by the rolling waves, but quickly emerges thanks to his life vest. He swims in the island's direction, while his body is pushed and pulled in all directions. Amanda! I'm sorry! Avery swims hard, fighting for his life. Waves pummel his face, disorienting and blinding him. Despite the assault, he keeps swimming. Avery is violently yanked out of the water and hoisted into the dinghy, falling backwards into Val's lap. Dr. Walker, are you okay? Take me back! She needs me! We can't go back. Dr. Palmer, stay behind. We need to go back for her. We'll leave at first light, I promise. Please! Just take me back! Take me back! I'm sorry. Val gives a signal to the driver, and the dinghy makes a sharp turn back towards the Farragut. The thick metal door to the closet-sized quarters swings open. Avery, still soaked, steps inside as Kaya greets him with a rub against his leg. The three food bowls are completely empty. You must be hungry. Avery grabs a massive cat food bag from his suitcase and dumps it generously in one of the bowls. Kaya quickly trots over and chows down. Avery squats next to her. I shouldn't leave you alone so much. I haven't been a very good parent, have I? I just wanted to say, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Avery reaches out to pet Kaya. At the exact moment of physical contact, 
Avery is back in one of his visions, back in the paradise he's visited so many times before. Except this time, he's aware of his presence. This shouldn't be possible. I shut it down. A nearby tree rustles its leaves. Avery looks up to see Kaya climbing through the branches. Kaya? What are you doing here? Kaya hops down through the tree until she reaches the ground. She strides casually towards Avery. Hello, Avery. Kaya? Who is Kaya? You're Kaya. My cat? I am the sentient that inhabits the vessel. I chose a form from your subconscious with high emotional significance. You're the alien. You are the alien. I thought you were dead. The alien lies on the ground, surrounded by shattered glass and yellow goo. After I was removed from stasis, I absorbed the surrounding psychokinetic fluid until I was at strength to contact you. Understand, I was only acting out of self-defense. Don't hurt me, please. I have no desire to hurt you. Then why are you here? To ask for help? 987 Earth years ago, our vessel crashed on this planet after a catastrophic engine failure. A massive fireball descends towards the water. Two intact pods are surrounded by four broken pods and four dead alien bodies in the cavernous chamber. Only two of us survived. And for 987 years, we were placed in hibernation by our ship's construct until rescue could arrive. For that time, we existed in a dream state, in a place much like this. But while in our hibernation, we were oblivious to the outside world and the machinations of our vessel's construct. When you say construct... An artificial intelligence. Land expands out in all directions from a single point on the ocean's surface. After the land has formed, trees and other foliage sprout upwards. Many years passed, and help failed to arrive. Our construct determined that the only way to sustain my companion, and me, for extended hibernation was to provide our bodies with a constant supply of fresh organic matter from your planet's indigenous population. So, it, it wasn't you who brought people here. It, it was your computer. Correct. The Construct created an artificial habitat above our vessel and attracted members of the indigenous population via telepathic signal. Its random recipients were compelled to this island to serve as organic nourishment. It chose me? I was just a child! The Construct made no such distinction. But what about the god these people worship? That was just a computer program, too? The Construct manifested a faith-based facade, granted in your species' shared concept of a higher power, to maintain and control the island's population. We see the base of one of the stasis pods. It's rusted and corroded. But despite the great lengths our Construct went to keep us alive, it could not save us from the ravages of time. The base of the pod cracks under pressure and comes crashing down, tossing the creature aside. My companion vanished from our shared dream. For the first time in 987 years, I was alone. Avery now sits closer to Kaya. Upon exit from hibernation, my companion learned what had become of our vessel 
and the efforts undertaken by our construct to sustain us. In their last moments before death, my companion disabled the cloak that hid this habitat. The same time my episodes got worse. With the cloak permanently disabled, the telepathic call transmitted continually. You were not the only individual to receive it, but the only one to arrive. I never considered there were others out there like me. Why didn't they come? It is impossible to say. Perhaps they tried and failed. Perhaps they were not given the opportunity? That still doesn't explain what started all this. Why did your companion disable the cloak? A final act of selflessness. The cloak was disabled so I could be found. So I would not be alone. Avery looks at Kaya, feeling a strangely human connection. Uh, I, I'm sorry for what I did to you. I was scared. Angry. It is I who should apologize for the damage my construct has done to your species. Can you survive like this? Without the connection to my vessel, my body will eventually die. Th th there must be something we can do. How long do you have? This body will survive for 70 to 80 more years. <laughs> That's an entire human lifetime. For us, it is but a small fraction of our lives. I ask that you now bring me to your people. I wish to be among sentients for the remainder of my life. Not sure what else to do, Avery gradually reaches out a hand and gently pets Kaya on the head. She doesn't react how he expects, remaining stiff as a board. Avery retracts his hand, remembering who, or rather what, he's dealing with. I'm going to need your help too. Avery snaps back to reality and finds himself slumped on the floor. Kaya, the real Kaya, sleeps soundly on his lap. Avery smiles, petting her as she sleeps. He checks his watch. It's later than expected. Damn! Avery wakes Kaya from her slumber and gives her a kiss on the head. I'll be back soon. I promise. Avery leaves his quarters, keeping two of Kaya's three food bowls empty. Avery knocks on the metal door, nervously looking both ways to make sure no one sees him. The door soon opens to Ensign Val, who's in the middle of getting ready for the day. Dr. Walker, we're not supposed to leave for another three hours. I need your help. Avery and Val speed walk and talk. You want to do what? Hide the island. Make sure no one ever finds it again. How is that even possible? Kinda hard to explain. You're going to have to trust me. Val stops in place. Dr. Walker, I could be court-martialed for this. I'll take the blame. I just need to make things right. Val considers Avery's plea. You're not the only one. Follow me. Avery nods in acknowledgement as the two walk down the corridor with renewed confidence. The two stride across the deck, the sun just peeking over the horizon. All our sea craft are being used for the occupation. We don't have many options. What do we do? Val stops at the edge of the deck and looks up at a large orange lifeboat that hangs off the side of the ship. It's modern in design, completely enclosed to withstand rough seas. Val, already aboard, extends a hand to help Avery the rest of the way up. 
Balbin crouches down to work on opening the top hatch of the boat. Avery keeps watch until he locks eyes with a passing officer. Stop right there! Val opens the hatch and climbs inside as the officer sprints towards them. Dr. Walker! Avery looks down at Val, then back at the approaching officer. Freeze! Get off the boat! The officer pulls his gun on Avery as he sprints forward. Come on! Avery looks down, then back at the officer, then jumps straight down the hole. Avery crashes <gasps> to the hard metal floor of the lifeboat. Dr. Walker! Ouch! Val helps Avery up. They peer out a window where a dozen officers now surround the boat. Climb aboard! Get them out of there! Val scrambles towards the controls as officers climb the side of the boat. Brace yourself! Avery hugs a support beam as Val pulls down on a massive lever. The boat goes into freefall. The two float for a fraction of a second, the side of the Farragut racing past them. The two hit the floor as the boat rocks violently from side to side. This time, it's Avery who helps Val up, and the two rise to see the open ocean before them. Let's go! Val pushes the throttle forward as the lifeboat picks up speed, racing towards the island. The officer approaches Admiral Baldry, who sits in the center command chair. Sir, Dr. Walker is gone. Pardon? He stole one of our lifeboats with the help of an ensign. What is their course? The island, sir. All hands, prepare for immediate departure to the island. Avery and Val break through the dense foliage surrounding the village to find it ravaged by the storm. The interiors of many homes are now exposed, their roofs ripped off by the gusting winds. A river flows between the buildings, carrying chunks of trees and other debris. Fires consume some dwellings, a result of the lightning strikes. Villagers wade through the village, trying to repair the damage. Oh my god, how are we going to find her? The two proceed through the destruction towards the metal spire in the distance. Near the metal spire, villagers tend to the wounded and help other refugees of the storm. Avery finally sees her. Amanda! She bandages an old man's broken arm. Avery is overwhelmed with relief at the sight of her, but his expression quickly turns to guilt as soon as he sees her face. I should never have left you. I need to help the wounded. She walks off, Avery following after her. Amanda kneels down next to an injured woman with a bloody wound on her shoulder. Amanda disinfects the wound with alcohol wipes as Avery approaches. I can fix this. Can you get me more gauze? I'm about to run out. There's no time for that. They'll be here soon. She stares daggers at him. Get me the gauze. Avery relents and walks over to a nearby cache of medical supplies, grabbing what she asked for. Here. Now will you please listen to me? I have work to do. Amanda turns away from him. Avery just stands there, helpless, not knowing what else to say. He instead takes in the sights around him. The people of the village, despite their inability to communicate, help each other through the decimation of the storm. He watches villagers help the wounded, expel water from flooded homes, suppress fires, and repair fractured walls. The camaraderie is moving. It's the most beautiful thing Avery has ever seen. I was wrong. Amanda looks at him. It was never the construct that united them. It was the people themselves. Always just them. There was strife yesterday, yes, but look at them now. In the face of great tragedy, despite their differences, they're helping each other. There's a lot we could learn from them. But they deserve to be left alone. 
They don't need us. Avery. I was wrong. And as usual, you were right. I was desperate to control things. If I couldn't control myself, maybe I could control them. Uncontacted persons. It's a misnomer. These people are more connected than I've ever been. Amanda, I don't expect you to trust me ever again. But if you don't give me a chance, just this one chance, we might never make things right. She stands to meet his gaze. He stands there, laid bare before her eyes. All right, what do we do? Avery, Amanda, and Val approach the metal spire. Avery places a hand on it, feeling its smooth surface. Amanda acknowledges Val. What about your orders? I read up on human decency. The Academy must have forgotten that lesson. That's all Amanda needs to hear. She turns to Avery. How are we supposed to get down there? I don't know. It never said. With his hand still on the spire, Avery lowers his head and closes his eyes, concentrating. But his focus is soon interrupted by a voice from Val's radio. We are a go for departure. ETA 22 minutes. We have to hurry up. I, I know, I know. Avery closes his eyes once more, focusing on his physical connection to the spire. To his surprise, a faint yellow glow energizes around his hand. Val and Amanda each place a hand on Avery's shoulders, closing their own eyes as well. All three are engulfed in light. With the Farragut behind them, dozens of dinghies, speedboats, and helicopters race towards the island, carrying hundreds of soldiers. Another flash as Avery, Amanda, and Val appear on the center platform. Amanda and Val tremble from the experience while Avery is perfectly calm. The massive space is still mostly dark. The only light comes from a meager amount of yellow goo that rests at the bottom of the giant vat in the center of the platform. Avery grabs Amanda's hand to stop her from shaking. Never doing that again. Amanda and Val gaze around the room, captivated by the alien technology and the sheer volume of the space. This is incredible. What is that? Val points to Avery's alien, still in the same place he left it when he destroyed its pod. That's our friend. That's an alien? Not like the movies. While Avery approaches the alien, Val notes the surrounding piles of clothes, taking in their ominous implication. Avery kneels down and picks up the flesh ball, its skin moist and sticky. You return. Of course. What do I do? The alien speaks to Avery via telepathy with the same voice as Kaya from the Vision. To Amanda and Val, Avery is speaking to no one. Place me in the center power receptacle so I may interface with the construct. Avery carries the creature towards the nearly empty vat and drops it inside. The alien absorbs the remaining fluid and the entire room comes to life. The yellow liquid once again spreads throughout the veiny tubes that surround the entire chamber, lighting everything up in a glorious spectacle. What's it doing? Making things right. Restoring surface habitat. The excess water that floods the village suddenly recedes into the ground. The villagers watch in amazement as the seedlings planted by the military shoot up and grow instantaneously. The vat holding the alien floods with new yellow goo, causing the alien to rise upwards. Restoring language translation matrix. As the villagers work to repair their homes, they rejoice as they realize they can once again understand each other. 
Avery, Amanda, and Val watch in wonder as the walls pulsate rhythmically. Purging foreign infectious bodies. The suffering measles patients sit up, renewed with energy. They watch in awe as the rashes on their skin miraculously fade away. The vat glows so bright, Avery, Amanda, and Val have to shield their eyes. Restoring the construct. Construct online. It won't keep bringing people here, right? No more ceremonies? With my physical body gone, its only purpose will be to sustain and protect the human population. Finally, an end. Preparing surface cloak. Once engaged, the habitat will be hidden until its power cells deplete in 1,436 years. Shall I proceed? Why are you asking? I can sense your hesitancy. <laughs> the things we could learn from these people. A direct window to the past. A and the ship? Who knows what technology we could salvage? You must decide. Avery considers not going through with the plan for just a fraction of a second before taking Amanda's hand. She takes it back. Do it. Engage the cloak. The process has begun. There's one more thing before we leave. You must hurry. Our time is fleeting. There's a sick child up there. His name is Tilo. If there's anything you can do to help him, please. It will be done. Tilo shivers in his mother's lap, coughing and moaning. A yellow aura ascends from the dirt below them. It snakes its way onto the bed until it engulfs Tilo's body. It glows bright until it abruptly fades away. Tilo stops mid-cough. His entire demeanor changes. He sits up completely healed. The color now returned to his face. Joanna is overtaken with relief and bewilderment. She hugs her son. My boy! Doxa! Doxa, you must come! Tilo is healed! Avery reaches inside the vat and grabs the alien, yellow fluid oozing off it. Grab on. Amanda and Val join Avery and reluctantly place their hands on the alien's skin. The three materialize at the base of the metal spire, Avery clutching the alien like a football. Avery looks at the ground where an invisible sphere inflates in all directions. Wherever the sphere touches, the ground, the rocks, the grass, even the metal spire, everything vanishes. In its place is all that will remain when the island is gone, the ocean. We must leave at once. Any matter the cloak touches will deface permanently. Avery pulls back Amanda and Val, alerting them to the growing anomaly. We have to go. Don't let it touch you. With the alien locked under his armpit, Avery and his companions run for their lives. The three catch quick glimpses behind their backs as entire areas of the village vanish into oblivion. They run past the home of Doxa, Joanna, and Tilo, who stand calmly on their porch. Avery and Doxa exchange a nod of understanding just before the family and their home are consumed by the invisible sphere. The entire village fades from reality as soon as they clear its perimeter. Avery, Amanda, and Val careen through the dense forest, dodging trees and jumping over rocks. Just a few feet behind them, the dense foliage systematically dissolves. Is it getting faster? I don't know. Just keep going. Amanda trips on a thick tree root and face plants on the ground. On instinct, Avery tosses the alien to Val up ahead, who catches it awkwardly. Avery rushes to Amanda's side and helps her up just before her shoe is caught in the spear. Come on! 
The three burst through the tree line onto the beach. They are instantly hit with the horrifying image of the entire naval force heading right towards them. They sprint towards the lifeboat parked on the beach and help each other climb aboard. Behind them, the tops of the tallest trees can be seen disappearing into thin air. Now aboard, Val pulls down on the throttle, sending the boat into hard reverse. But they aren't moving. The boat is stuck on the sand. We need to go! I'm trying, I'm trying! The engine screams in agony, trying to find water. They watch through the front windows as the entire tree line fades away, and soon with it, the sand on the beach. Go! Val pulls the throttle back as hard as she can. And just before the entire craft is lost in the cloaking field, it makes contact with the water and zooms backward into the ocean. As they fly in reverse, the entire naval force surges past them, going the opposite direction until they hit nothing. The island is gone. Avery, who carries the alien, Amanda and Val, climb aboard the top of the lifeboat. They watch the naval forces come to a staggered halt. Amanda reaches for Avery's hand. He maneuvers the creature under his other arm so he can accept her gesture with a smile, perhaps the first real one we've ever seen from him. The four look out at the confused military force, ready to face whatever fate may come. Avery steps into his disheveled home, Kaya's carrier clutched in one hand. He sets down the carrier and undoes the latch, letting Kaya free. She scurries into the house, weaving through the clutter. Avery's home is in the same state he left it, walls and furniture ruined beyond repair. Avery sees a landline receiver on the floor, its plug still connected to the outlet on the kitchen counter above. A red light blinks repeatedly. Avery presses a button on the receiver. A message plays as Avery opens a can of wet cat food from the fridge. Hey, it's me. I hope this is the right number. I had to get it from your faculty profile. You took off before I could ask you for it. Kaya, come here, girl. Kaya trots over to the wet food. She sniffs it cautiously before gorging herself. Avery strokes her back as she eats. Anyways, I'm sure you're gonna be busy on the ET project, but I'm spinning up a proposal on the Gildana people. We finally got a working translation of their language. This will open a host of new research opportunities. I was wondering if you'd be interested in co-authoring. I asked Val if she'd be my research assistant now that she's out of a job. Not that she has any experience, but I wanted to help her out. Still waiting on a response. Anyways, let me know. I'd love to have your perspective. The message ends. Avery stands, leaving Kaya to her meal. He looks out at the state of his home with new understanding. Avery pulls a broom from the closet and begins sweeping the floor. Avery? Uh, can you give me a little warning next time? Avery looks down. A copy of Kaya looks back at him expectantly. The original still eats her food, oblivious to the other Kaya's presence. Is a declaration of your primary identifier not sufficient warning? <laughs> Never mind. How are you? Uh, are you being treated okay? My treatment is adequate, but I desire to see your world, not idle in a rudimentary laboratory. <sighs> Hopefully we can get you out soon, but it's going to take some time for them to trust you. Will your collaboration with Dr. Amanda Palmer delay this endeavor? Oh, oh you uh, heard that. I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know if I can open that door again. 
I believe it would be in your best interest. Why? So you will not be alone. Avery nods knowingly as the copy of Kaya vanishes. He continues sweeping the floor, starting with the broken vase. Life on the island has returned to normal. Villagers work to repair damage from the storm, while farmers tend to their new crops and children run carefree through the streets. The metal crate containing the technology offering sits open in the center of the room, its otherworldly contents strewn all over the home. Joanna tinkers with what appears to be a camping stove. After randomly fiddling with the dials, the small stove ignites with a dark blue flame. Tilo, come look! Tilo is at the other end of the room on his bed. He fiddles with a pair of black fabric patches that make a harsh ripping sound when pulled apart. Velcro. He fastens the two pieces together and then rips them apart over and over again, completely enthralled. Tilo runs to his mother, but not before passing Doxa, who sits in a chair, hyper-focused on his walkie-talkie. Hello. He changes frequencies. Is anyone there? He changes the frequency once more. Can you hear me? Doxa looks at Joanna and Tilo, who now excitedly cook an egg on the stove. This is cargo vessel Barzon. Who is this? Why are you on this channel? Doxa's eyes go wide. Hello? Hello? Are you there? What is your location? Do you read me? Uncontacted, part three. Written, produced, and edited by Jacob Levy. Narration by Mike Roberts. Dr. Avery Walker, played by Aaron Corwin. Dr. Amanda Palmer, played by Kelsey Painter. Ensign Valeria Torres, played by Mia Rodriguez. Admiral James Baldry, played by Paul Warren. Doxa, played by Jason Tanujaye. Joanna, played by Kat Loveland. The Construct, played by Garrett Tordo. Avery's father, played by Peter Tordo. Young Avery, played by Dax Parker. The Woman Speaking German, played by Hannah Eintz. The Woman Speaking Mandarin, played by Sean Sean Lee. The Military Botanist, played by Joey Martinez. The Medical Officer, played by Julia Tordo. Translator number one, played by Jacob Levy. Translator number two, played by Ellen. Soldier number one, played by Brandon Chan. Soldier number two, played by Jordan McMahon. Officer number two, played by Christiane Joel Rosas. The radio operator, played by Colin Dimer. Music and themes by Christiane Cordero Alba. Music by Joey Martinez. Engineering consultation by Joey Martinez. Art by Christiane Joel Rosas. Special thanks to Julia Tordo, Nick Frangione, Madison Goldman, Eric Chernick, Cullen Dimer, Jennifer Jacobs, and Charles Levy. The End